Florida Medical Association, helping physicians practice medicine. Welcome to the Medicine Curated Podcast. I'm your host, Tim Stapleton, CEO of the Florida Medical Association. The COVID-19 pandemic has brought the topic of vaccinations back to the forefront. As the United States and the world await a safe and effective vaccine against COVID-19, the declining vaccination rates for our nation's children has become an emerging issue. Today, we are talking with Dr. Lisa Gwen. Dr. Gwen is Associate Professor of Clinical Pediatrics and Public Health Sciences at the University of Miami Miller School of Medicine, and she serves as Medical Director for the Pediatric Mobile Clinic, a program that provides a medical home to uninsured children. She is also the Program Director of the Dr. Donald T. McDonald Foundation School Health Initiative, a school-based health clinic program located in nine schools in Miami-Dade County. Dr. Gwynn joined the University of Miami faculty in 2010, following nine years in private practice. She earned her medical degree from Nova Southeastern University School of Osteopathic Medicine and completed her residency training at the University of Miami and Jackson Health System. Dr. Gwynn earned an MBA in health sector management and policy from the University of Miami School of Business. And that's not all. She is the president of the Florida chapter of the American Academy of Pediatrics. That's quite a resume. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Gwen. My pleasure. I'm kind of exhausted listening to that. <laughs> <laughs> well, let's jump right in. You know, what's the, what's the one thing that worries you the most about children uh, not getting their vaccines? What worries me the most is um, taking us back to the days when we did have outbreaks of communicable diseases, um, something that we haven't really seen for a long time. We've had pockets of, of uh, measles infections in communities, but um, widespread incidents of you know, infectious diseases that are preventable is something that I'm most concerned about. You know, we've, we've uh, seen... Um the anti-vax movement sort of pop up uh, in recent years, and and uh, that has created challenges, certainly, uh, in terms of educating the public about the importance of vaccines. But how has the, the COVID-19 pandemic added to that challenge of assuring that our children are getting their necessary vaccines? So the anti-vax movement is very strong, very powerful. There, there aren't as many people as you would think, but they are extremely well-connected and it's a force to be reckoned with and we will continue to um, fight that battle. Um, as far as um, the COVID-19 uh, pandemic affecting um, parents' attitudes about the vaccines, I think the jury is still out. I think there's a lot of mistrust. There's a lot of misinformation. Um, I don't believe that, um, especially when it comes to children and the COVID vaccine in, in itself, um, even those of us in you know, pediatrics, we're not quite there yet as far as um, understanding if this is gonna in fact be um, useful for children, just the jury is still out. Sure. Um, I am concerned though that um, pa parents are just not getting their kids vaccinated for the things that we've, we've already had um, offered for years and years, so. Do you think that's just because um, of the pandemic and maybe they're keeping their kids at home? Um, uh, you think that's the, the main um, obstacle? 
Yes, very much so. Very much yeah. so. There's pediatricians have been struggling financially um, because parents just aren't bringing their kids in for um, regular checkups. The younger um, children, infants and toddlers that require ongoing vaccines, um, they, they seem to be uh, doing a little bit better than the older kids that um, need their booster vaccines and so forth, especially um, with children um, you know, participating in virtual school. It's, right. it's not such a pressing issue for, for parents to, to leave their homes um, to get their kids vaccinated. It's just not on their priority list right now. So you're anticipating um, a decline or you're seeing a decline in, in childhood vaccination rates, uh, particularly among older kids, as you explained. Um, what are some of the strategies that we can employ uh, to try to reverse that trend? That's a great question. And um, we are, as the Florida chapter of the Academy of Pediatrics is going to be working very, very hard on this specific issue with the Department of Health um, and other key stakeholders, the, the school districts. It's going to take a multi-stakeholder approach for all of us to get on the same page. I'm very encouraged also that the um, the, the insurance industry is actually very concerned as well. So we've had conversations with uh, multiple managed care companies in without throughout the state, and um, we're all we're all in alignment with this issue. And I think that's an amazing first step. I also think that legislators need to really get on the bandwagon as well as our governor, because um, without the leadership, the, the endorsement from leadership at the very top. Uh, it's going to be very challenging to to move the needle on this. Sure, no, that's a great point. And it's good to hear that the um, that the insurance industry is on board. Certainly, they um, they understand that if kids don't get their vaccines and and we have outbreaks, that that the cost of taking care of of all of these uh, children is going to increase. And uh, you know, I think they 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 hopefully uh, will continue to work side by side with you and others to uh, help uh, reverse that trend. Um, so tell us about your work um, as a medical director at the um, pediatric mobile clinic, and, and also your work with the uh, John T. Uh, Dr. John T. McDonald uh, Foundation, um, the School Health Initiative. Tell us a little bit about those two programs. I, I realize they're separate programs, but uh, uh, tell us about it. Sure. I mean, it puts a smile to my face. Um, my work is so rewarding in the sense that. We are reaching out to the most vulnerable populations, children that are the most marginalized in our society, and we are providing a, a medical home in locations that are very innovative. Um, our pediatric mobile clinic goes out into communities throughout Miami-Dade County. We span all the way from the very southern portions, the areas that are more rural. Believe it or not, Miami does have some rural areas. Um, and so we, we go there, we go into suburban neighborhoods, Wherever the patients are, we we follow. Um, in addition to providing a medical home, our mobile clinic team, we also have a COVID testing team. We've partnered with the Department of Health and we're in fact the only program in Miami-Dade County that is exclusively um, uh, testing uh, COVID testing for children. And so we're very proud of that effort. We started in July and we've tested over 8,000 kids. And so we're working with the Department of Health and the school district to um, to make sure that we can we can help mitigate um, you know the infection rates um, in Miami Dade for kids. The Dr. John T. McDonald Foundation School Health Initiative has been um, another um, program that has been so rewarding to to grow. Um, we have nine school-based clinics and schools, and we provide 
comprehensive health care, mental health care to uh, students in our schools. They are all Title I schools. And so, again, same kind of uh, mission of uh, taking care of those kids that are that are uninsured and, and most in need of, of care. Sure. That that's an amazing both of those programs are amazing and, and you can be you know quite proud. I can tell you're you're very proud of both of those programs and they're great. Tell me a little bit about um the integration of behavioral health and mental health along with uh pediatric care. I I know that there's been a lot of talk recently and, and concern about um uh about the well-being of our of our children. Um uh, not just their their physical health, but their mental health. Tell us a little bit about that uh, and and what we can do to to really address those issues. Well, I think that everybody, including the Academy of Pediatrics, has recognized they just came out with guidelines recently uh, about the mental health impacts of the um, pandemic. And um, it's I think that we all have identified that there's an issue, but you know, really at the, at the end of the day, what can we do about it? What are the solutions? What are the services we can bring forth to, to students in need? And that's really, really challenging. I mean, we, we certainly, um, access to mental health services is a big issue. And, um, you know, there's waiting lists for psychologists. Many psychologists don't even take health insurance. So for those that are under-resourced, they don't have access. And so, our mental health team has done an amazing job with, with actually integrating into our services um, by providing screening tools for our providers and also um, a mechanism to refer patients to the team so that they can get the help that they need. Um, and being embedded in the school has been really amazing as well because we get referrals from our um, from our administration as well and teachers. And so a multifactorial um, response is really um, been success. You know, it's allowed us to be successful. Yeah, uh, you know, I, I was just thinking. I I have a child with autism, and this whole pandemic has been a challenge for him. He's ten years old, but I think about uh, when he was younger and when he was just being diagnosed and the challenges. And I, I wonder and I worry about the parents that that might have kids at that you know one or two year old age where. Uh, uh, maybe they're not getting diagnosed or they're not, uh, uh, they don't have access. And, um, I'm sure that the, um, the pandemic is exacerbating those issues as well. Absolutely. And it is, it's heartbreaking because many of the services that children with special needs receive are actually in the school setting. That's right. So, you know, that's, and I think that this pandemic has really pushed forward the idea, um, that, Health and education are really, really closely related, if you will. I mean, they're really integrated. And I think it's exposed our vulnerabilities, but in, at the same time, it's also kind of allowed us to say, hey, this could be a pivotal point for us. How can we look at things differently? How can we integrate health and education together? Um, and so, you know, we have an opportunity to make a difference from here. You know, um, and so, but I, I definitely um, empathize with parents that, you know, they're trying to work, they're trying to balance, you know, th their child's needs with, you know, staying, uh, working in their homes or going to work and all of those challenges. It's really, really um, been heartbreaking for, for everyone. And so 
hopefully in the near future, we're going to be able to um, get back to some semblance of normal. Yeah. And, and I like I like your comment about uh, learning from the pandemic uh, and and hopefully, you know, some of the lessons that, that we've learned, um, we can carry forward in a, in a positive way uh, once this is uh, once this is all over. Certainly the 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 concerns about vaccinations, the concerns about um, child health during the pandemic are, are acute problems right now. But what are some of the other public health issues uh, affecting children uh, that um, that you're advocating for and, and that we're going to continue to uh, to work on going forward? I'm glad you asked this question because I'm really in the throes of this right now in Miami-Dade. Um, I think that at this point, until this pandemic kind of comes to, um, kind of runs its course, we are going to have to do a better job at testing for kids. Um, you know, children, we started fighting to, to get testing uh, kits available for children not, not long after the pandemic started. And of course we were, the kits were limited, PPE was limited. And so we just kind of waited in the wings until the supplies became more readily available. And um, we were able to secure um, a collaboration with the Department of Health to provide us with the test kits. Now that we have the resources to do that, um, we really need to focus on how to better plan testing strategies and help schools, help school districts throughout the state and throughout the country for that matter, to come up with good, good, solid strategic plans that are going to mitigate infection and help all of the, you know, we are, we're all um, in, we're doing this in a way that's um, well-intended, but um, the folks on the front lines are really in the weeds. Uh, the school districts, the school administrators, the principals, um, the superintendents, you know, they're all really, and, and the public health departments, they're under-resourced as well. Um, and so everyone's well-intended, but it's really going to take, you know, working together to identify planning that's going to, um, to help connect kids to access to testing. Pediatricians right now do not have access to wide, to, to test kits like what they need for their, um, for their patients. Um, it gets into reimbursement. Reimbursement rates for COVID tests are below cost. And mm -hmm. so it's prohibitive. Um, I don't think that that's from a public health perspective. I think community testing of children all the way down to infancy. I mean, we test two month, two month old babies, um, you know, so yeah. I think I know that's a long winded answer to your question, but I think that just solidifying um, the ability to have access to testing for children out in the community is key. Yeah. Yeah. So, you know, you're the president of the Florida Academy um, or Florida chapter of the uh, American Academy of Pediatrics. Uh, what are some of your goals? Uh, you get a two year uh, a term. What are some of your goals um, uh, for, the, for, for that organization and how can the Florida Medical Association work with you to, to help achieve those goals? Well, I think, um, you know, this is a selfish goal, but I think that school health needs to be something that we really um, keep pushing forward. We should have nurses in every school, bottom line. I know that's a big ask, but um, we're in a situation now where there's thousands and thousands of schools that, have, that don't have a nurse. And so here's an example of we're in the middle of a pandemic. If we had nurses in every school, we could employ, you know, adequate testing within the schoolhouse. So 
that's a priority for, for me and, and hopefully for the organization and for the legislature and for, you know, governing bodies or, or organizational um, partners such as the FMA. Um, the other priority is for us is telehealth. Yeah. Um, maintaining right now, we're in, still in a state of emergency. So a lot of the restrictions have been lifted for telehealth, but um, I also am very, um, I have telehealth in our, both of the programs that I run, we've been, um, we've employed uh, telehealth technology, both in our mobile clinic and our, in our school clinics. And it is an amazing um, tool to, to communicate and to improve access. And so that's a priority for the chapter to ensure that pediatricians can continue to utilize telehealth and be reimbursed or paid for their um, for their time um, appropriately in terms of having parity. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's across the board, not even just with children, but with adults as well. Um, the other priority, of course, is vaccinations and making sure that um, we continue to push forward with not only access for vaccines and reimbursement for vaccines, but also um, the Florida Shots Registry. And it's now it's more important than ever that all providers, anybody that you know administers a vaccine needs to put it in the um, Florida Shots Registry, um, including now the, the next, uh, uh, the new law that's going into effect that allows pharmacists to um, vaccinate children. Um, if we don't, we don't um, push for everybody to um, participate in that registry, it's going to cause you know additional heartache and sure logistical nightmares, especially for pediatricians. Yeah, from a continuity of care standpoint, I can imagine uh, that being a, a real problem uh, if uh, children are getting um, their flu shot uh, at a, a Walgreens and that information is not communicated to their pediatrician. Um, I can I can see where those those issues could uh, be very problematic. It's very problematic and and duplication of services. Sometimes kids get kids get over immunized or they're under immunized, and you know it's just it's a headache. And of course, the forms that are required for school, you know, we're not sure that that um, that these entities are going to be providing those vaccine you know those actual forms it's called the 680 form and that those of us in peds know that's the, the famous blue form we're not sure that they're going to be administering those and so that again has to fall back on the pediatricians that usually provide those forms and so pharmacists and other um providers it's not just pharmacists it's providers there's there's providers out there that aren't um complying and aren't um, participating and so that creates some some real challenges for um, for parents, for pediatricians, for the school districts, and for kids. Well, you definitely have a partner uh, in the FMA on all those issues, and I know that the telehealth um, in particular. I'm glad you brought that up because that is an uh, um, I think one of the positive trends of the um, uh, COVID have been has been the the uh, increased use of telehealth. Um, it's not perfect, certainly, um, and a lot of physicians, uh, you know, are concerned about, you know, the, maintaining the same quality of care, but it is a tool, as you mentioned, um, and we want to make sure that uh, after the pandemic uh, uh, is over, um, telehealth will continue to be a tool, and, you know, you're right, it's the payment issues, parity, and so forth um, uh, that are going to be very important, so we're going to be working on that. And uh, uh, I'm glad that you that you that you brought that up. 
Dr. Gwen, I, I want to thank you um, uh, for your time today. I know you're busy. We appreciate everything you do to promote the health uh, and well-being of, of children in Florida. Um, I admire all of your work, and, and uh, we look forward to uh, continuing to work together uh, for many years to come. Well, I appreciate the opportunity, and I look forward to our collaboration and partnership as well. Thank you so much. Great. Thank you. Awesome. Florida Medical Association, helping physicians practice medicine.